Hey, and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So, let's get to it. Matthew chapter 1, we're into it. So, Christmas time. Show of hands, how many of you love Christmas? Come on, you love it? Yes, I love Christmas. I know, I know it's crazy. Uh, You know, driving is crazy, shopping is crazy. If you're out and about, you just, you take your life in your own hands if you're driving around any place near the mall. So I'm just, you know, that's, the Lord tests me, man. This is, this is my season of testing uh, for, for drivers because I just want to go, hey, you know, park it. You know, if you can't drive it, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, I love the people that pull over in front of you and then they slow down, you know, and I'm just like, hey, you paid for the pedal on the right. Feel free to use it, you know, that, that deal. <laughs> so uh, it's just one of those things, man. But, you know, I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I, I, I just really enjoy it. Um, but you know what? As a Christian, the deep things of, Christian, of Christmas are just fantastic. Because without Christmas, there is no cross, there is no resurrection. Without the incarnation, without Jesus coming in flesh, putting on flesh, we don't have a Savior on the cross. We don't have a Savior resurrecting from the tomb. There is no Easter without Christmas. We all understand that. And that is why Christmas is such a big deal, not only for us as believers, but also for the entire world. So we're going to look at a passage that's familiar, that's uh, part of the Christmas story here in Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. Please follow along as I read. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was her husband, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. If you've grown up in church at all, you recognize this is a familiar passage, part of the Christmas story. And the title, by the way, on on the back of your song sheets are notes that I've provided for you. Um, The title of this is Jesus Came to Show Us and to Save Us. Jesus Came to Show Us and to Save Us. And in this, there's a ton of stuff in here. We're going to look at three truths real quick that God, I believe, wants us to grab a hold of because it can really encourage and direct and even change our lives. So the first one is this, is that number one, Jesus came to show us the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. That's what goes in the blank, the Father. He came to show us the Father. That's why we read in verse... 23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. We miss out on the absolute stunning promise that this was to the people. Because, and I have the verse listed for you there on your, on your notes. In Exodus, Moses Ask God, he said, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And this was God's reply in verse 20. But he, God, said to Moses, you cannot see my face for no one. No one may see me and live. We could not, as finite beings, handle the glory of God. If we were to look at him, we'd just be instantly annihilated. All right? I mean, I find this, this illustration to be helpful. We got this from uh, author and pastor Timothy Keller. He said, imagine going out and trying to look at the sun. Ever, anybody ever tried to do that when you were a kid? 
Look at your son. Somebody dare you? I dared my brother. He was younger. Look at the sun. It'll be great. You'll, you'll see something awesome. Right? You, look, you try to look at the sun, and what happens? Your eye, if you try to stare at the sun, your eye eventually will be damaged. Seriously, significantly damaged because it's not designed to see that kind of power. So what do you do? If you're in science class, like I've been in science class, you probably were too, uh, you got a filter. You know, you went out, I still remember, we went out in, in sixth grade, we went out on the lawn, it was a big deal, in front of our uh, elementary school. We got this filter and we looked up at the sun and we could actually see, you know, see it, you know, looking through the filter. We couldn't look through a long time, but you look through a filter, you can actually see the sun and looking through a filter, a really good filter, you can actually see things about the sun that you wouldn't see normally. Here's the point. Jesus is God's filter for us to see him. Jesus is God's filter. Scriptures, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John 14 verse 9, anyone, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Colossians 1.15, the son, Jesus, is the image Exact representation of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the imprint or exact representation of His being. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus came to show us the Father. If you want to know what God thinks, how He responds, how He acts, just read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how Jesus acts and responds and thinks. Because that is how God does it. You see how he reaches out in love and forgiveness and justice and how he reaches out to the broken. That is who God was, is, and will forever be. And that is who God is to you and to me. And we see that as we look at Jesus. God was not content to just sit on a, you know, a cloud in the off, you know, a being that's far removed, far, far off away, you know, he came near. He came to be with us. And when you become a Christian, when you invite Christ into your life, he is with you 24-7, every second for the rest of your existence. He, God, is with you. Jesus came to show us the Father is so that we could see and that we could know. Jesus made God in a very intimate way. He made him knowable. He made him noble so that we could be in a relationship with him. Jesus came to show us the Father. Number two, Jesus came to sh show us that God keeps his word. Jesus came to show us that God keeps his word. Verse 23 says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is a direct quotation of Isaiah 7.14. It was a prophecy prophesied hundreds of years before Christ even came. This is what is absolutely just blowing my mind. It'll blow your mind if you think about it. Uh, there's some scholars say that there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ. I have a handful of them listed for you there. Take a look at them on your, on your sheet. These are specific things that were prophesied about the coming Messiah, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I have the prophecy for you. The first verse, the second is a fulfillment. He was, Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That was prophesied in Micah 5.2, fulfilled in Matthew 2.1. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He was preceded by a messenger. Matthew 3 tells us that was John the Baptist. He was betrayed by a friend. We know that to be Judas Iscariot. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. That money, those 30 pieces of silver, would be thrown in God's house, which again was fulfilled in Matthew 27. 
Jesus was silent before his accusers. His hands and his feet were pierced. That one is spectacular because Psalm 22, where this is found, this prophecy is found, describes crucifixion. That's amazing because it was hundreds of years before it happened. It is absolutely stunning because crucifixion as a way of dying hadn't even been invented when David wrote that psalm. Right? That's how you know this is God's book. This is God's book. Now, those are eight prophecies. So the first blank you have there is eight prophecies. Let me tell you the odds. Let's calculate some odds. The odds of eight prophecies all being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. One chance in 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Let me tell you what that's like. That was like if you take a silver dollar, okay, and you mark it. And then you take the state of Texas and you fill it. The entire state, two feet deep, knee deep, with silver dollars. You stir the entire mass of silver dollars. You stir it up. You throw that marked one in. You stir it up again. And then I take you and I blindfold you and I put you on the border of Texas. And I say, you can walk as far as you want, as long as you want, in any direction that you want, as long as you stay within the boundaries of the state of Texas. But when you stop and you reach down and you pick up a silver dollar, you have to pick up the one that was marked. Those are the odds of 1 in 10 to the 17th power. So you're telling me there's a chance. No, but it gets better. The next blank is 17 prophecies. 17 prophecies. What are the chances there? One chance in 480 billion times 1 billion times 1 trillion. That's 480 followed by 30 zeros. We got any math experts in the house tonight? Any math experts? By the way, I didn't figure this out on my own. This was from Peter Stoner, who's an expert in math. He wrote, he wrote a, a book called Science Speaks, and he figured it out. He was an expert in probability, and he figured all this out. But wait, there's another one. Your final blank is 48. Just 48 prophecies. There's over 300. 48 prophecies about Christ. One chance in 10 to the 157th power. That's one. That's 10 followed by 157. Uh, zeros. That's a chance that all 48 prophecies would be fulfilled in one man. Things that he had absolutely no control over, where he was going to be born, how he was going to be born, things that you see here, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, money thrown, you know, he was going to be crucified, how he's going to be crucified, all that stuff. 48 prophecies, 1 in 10 to 157th power. You want to know what that's like? Imagine the universe. You, we understand the whole universe. Imagine that you could build a container that would fill, okay, that would cover a box that you could stick the universe in. You get this giant container, the universe is in this giant container, okay? The universe hasn't shrunk, it's what it is, you know, buildings of light years across, you build a container for that. Then you fill that with BBs, and then you mark one BB, and you put it out there in the universe, and I put you in a spacesuit, in a spaceship, and I go, travel anywhere you want, stop, reach out, grab a BB. The chances of you picking that one BB out of the entire universe, the one that's marked, is still trillions of times more likely, trillions of times more likely than these odds right here, 1 in 10 to 157th power. Okay. Some of you have already, uh, you, you've, you're blank. You've, you've, you're like, you've already checked out. You're like, hey, I wonder if the Bills are winning. I mean, you're already gone there, okay? Stay with me for just a second. You know what that means? This is the kind of confidence we can have in God's Word. This is the kind of confidence we can have in God's promises. Think about that. Time, odds, circumstances, 
matter nothing. They do not impact God's ability to fulfill his word at all. These are the odds that Jesus would fulfill all these. This is the kind of confidence we can have that what we hold in our hand is the word of God. When you read your Bible, you have got God's word that he breathed into existence. That's what inspiration means. That God breathed this into existence. Unbelievable, man. Just think about that when you sit down to, to spend time in the Word and have your devotions, that this is the kind of confidence we can have. So if you're waiting on God to fulfill a promise, hang in there. He's good for it. He is good for it. No matter whether the odds seem stacked against you, God is good for it. He came to show us the Father. He came to show us that God keeps His Word. And the third thing, He came to save us. He came to save us from our sins. Mark chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? That was massive break in protocol. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know what? The Pharisees didn't really care about Jesus being a savior. You know why? Because they didn't think they needed one. Didn't think they needed one. They thought they were good enough. They checked the boxes. They fulfilled the law. They did all these amazing things. All they, they kept all these rules. And they didn't think they were all that bad. And so they didn't really think they needed a Savior. And that's what happens. If you don't really think you need a Savior, then Jesus is not that impressive. And what he did on the cross is not that amazing. But when you realize your dire situation, that changes everything. It changes everything. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. If you reject Jesus' offer of salvation, God's wrath remains on you. I didn't say that. Jesus did. The Bible tells us that. That means if you're here and you're not a believer, the only thing that's keeping you from experiencing God's wrath is the fact that your heart's still beating. It's still pumping oxygen to your brain. The moment that stops, you experience God's wrath apart from Christ. God's love is in the warning. That's why he tells us that. And when we understand the seriousness of the situation, it changes everything. Drowning man, he doesn't know he's drowning, doesn't want a lifeguard. Doesn't understand it. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among man, whereby you must be saved. Jesus is it. Jesus, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then John, arguably Jesus' best friend when he was on this planet, wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, those letters in the book of Revelation. He says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, listen, Jesus is not a fable. He's not just a legend. He wasn't just an idea. I saw him. We saw him. We experienced him. We touched him. He was real. He wasn't just a spirit. He was a real human being. He was the word of life. Verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus is life. He is eternal life. So that when we come to him by faith, we turn from our sins and we invite Christ into our life, we commit our life to him in faith, we are bonded to him in faith, 
then guess what? We have eternal life. 1 John 5, 11, 13, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. This life is in His Son. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. It is that straightforward. It is that simple. And it is that profound. God says, I put life in my Son. If you have my Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. It's that simple. It's not like, well, no. It's either you do or you don't. Either you have a relationship with Christ or you don't. Either you have eternal life, you're going to be in heaven forever, or you don't. That's what God wants us to know. And so Jesus came at Christmas time to not only show us the Father and to show us that God keeps His word, but to show us that He can save us from our sins. And that is especially amazing when you realize something that happened at the cross. When Jesus, after He had been absolutely shredded from the scourging, many men never even lived through the scourging. The Romans were such experts at torture, and they just they shredded the body. They put him on the cross. They nailed him on the cross. He was in excruciating pain. They actually created that word excruciating because they didn't have a word strong enough to describe the pain that someone went through when they experienced crucifixion. Jesus was on the cross being crucified. And while he was there, he was being mocked. He was being spit upon. And this situation happened. Luke 23 records it. Verse 36 through 37 says this. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. You know what the crazy thing is about that? That's exactly what he could have done. He even said so the night before in the garden. The night before in the garden when they came to arrest him and some of his disciples were going to fight against it, this is what Jesus said. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? It's recorded in Matthew 26, 53. Jesus said, are you kidding me? I could call on my Father. I'd have thousands of angels here that fast and they could absolutely annihilate everybody, turn them to dust, send them tumbling into hell. I could do that. He could have done it that day on the cross. But he didn't. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to save himself. He came to save you. He came to save me. And when we tend, as believers, when we tend to get used to that, something really tragic and dangerous happens. We get used to the fact that Jesus died. I mean, when we hear that and it doesn't grab us and it doesn't catch us, and it doesn't cause sometimes a shot of emotion to just get stuck in our throat. We can start to drift. And we can start to think there's something greater than knowing Jesus. There's something greater. We can start to become impressed by and desire lesser things. Even good things that are lesser things. It happened to the disciples. I'll close with this. When Jesus got 70 disciples together, followers of him, and he sent them out to do ministry, he gave them authority. The scripture tells us he gave them authority to go out and heal the sick and perform miracles and cast out demons. They went out. They did all of it. They were blown away. They were pumped. They were psyched out of their mind. They came back to report to Jesus, and they said, even the spirits, even the demons have to obey to us. And they were just jacked out of their mind. They were so excited. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 10, 20. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus said, let me tell you where to anchor your joy. It's not in the stuff of this world. As good as that is and as awesome as it is, you anchor your joy, not to this, but to that. The fact that you have a relationship with the king of the universe, that you know God, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you're here and you're a believer, your name has been written 
in that book. And Jesus said, anchor your joy there. Get excited about that. Let that inform your life. You know why? Because nothing and no one can touch that. It is secure. It is safe. And that is what is to anchor our ultimate joy. Now, are we to enjoy the things around us that God's provided for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus wasn't telling them, don't get excited you know, about what you've just done because he's the one who gave them authority to do that. But he was saying, this is where your ultimate joy comes from, is the fact that you know the king of the universe, that your names are written in heaven. That's where you anchor your joy. And that's where we anchor our joy. On our best days, on our worst days, right there. Because nothing can touch it. And a hundred years from now, that's what's going to matter. And so I have two final blanks on your page. And this: remember and rejoice. Remember, remember where your names are written. Remember where your true joy is anchored. Safe and secure for all eternity. And then rejoice in that. Be excited about that. That's what Christmas, that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came at Christmas so that we could know the Father, so that we could have our ultimate joy anchored in a place that no one and nothing can touch. He wants us to remember that. He wants us to rejoice in that. And that's what we should do. Let's pray together. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. What did God talk to you about and what do you need to do about it? What did God speak to you about and what do you need to do? Just take a moment and respond to Him. Where do you need to remember? Where do you need to rejoice? What do you need to ask God to do in your heart? Maybe afresh and anew. Heads about eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're, you're here tonight and you're list, or you're listening to this online, and your name is not written in heaven, you are not sure you're going to make heaven, or you know for sure that you're not. Listen, the Bible, mathematical, statistical probability alone tells us we can trust the Bible. God's word is true. You're not getting around that. No one gets around that. This is true. And it's true that there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's an eternity. God loved you so much, He loved me so much that He sent Jesus to die to pay for our sins so that if we'll place our trust in Him and say, I surrender my life to you, He will give us eternal life. He promises that. He who has the Son has life. If you're here tonight or you're listening online and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, then just tell Him that. Let me invite you to pray this prayer after me. Not out loud in your heart, mean these words as your own. They're not magic. It's the way that God has given us to to voice our desires to Him. Just silently, just say this and mean these words on your own. Just pray this silently. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me. That you have eternal life to give me. And I want that. I want you. So I turn from my sin. I repent. And I turn to you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a relationship with you. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you just prayed that and you meant it, I want to remember you in a closing prayer. If you say, man, I, I prayed it, Wes, I meant it. I don't want anyone looking around, but if that's you, 
I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I see it, so I can remember you. Not by name, but I can remember you in a closing prayer. Somebody prayed for me, I want to pray for you. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand real quick so I can pray for you. If you're listening online and you just made that decision, you can go to our, our website here on the tab, How to Know God. Click on that. It gives you the information. It'll help you. And we would love to hear from you. So please contact us so we can help you in any way that we can. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. May your sacrifice, Jesus, excite us, especially around this time, Christmas time, as we remember what you did for us to come here, to show us the Father, to show us that we can trust your word and to save us. May we never get over it, and may we rejoice in that no matter what. We pray this in your name, Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.